Hello there. We're trying to keep Coral Chihuahua going, and so we draw your attention to the possibility of listening to us on Patreon for just a few quid a month. This also magically gets rid of the ads. That's Patreon with an E, patreon.com forward slash Coral Chihuahua. On with the app. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, it's time for Coral Chihuahua. <laughs> cool suspension. And this week, Eamon and I are in London. First time, actually, 10 floors up, with a view from Dalston, Kingsland, over to Stratford in East London. And it's a pleasure not only to introduce our guest, but for me at least, actually to meet her at all. Welcome co-founder of London Youth Choirs, Rachel Staunton. Well, good morning, and thank you very much for inviting me today. Rachel, tell us a bit about yourself. Well, I live in London. I probably would call myself a Londoner these days as well, having grown up all over the UK. Uh, I think I went to seven different schools, two different unis and music college. But I've been living in London for about the last um, 12 years. So I absolutely love this city. Uh, It's great to meet up here today. Um, I conduct lots of choirs in London and... Um, you, you were saying just now, actually, because the, the bit before the microphone is turned on sometimes is the most interesting. You're saying there was a stage when you were doing sort of 14 choirs a week. I mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, welcome to the life of a freelance choir conductor starting out, I think I'd say. So, yeah, there was a season where um, I'd left the Royal Academy of Music and I had literally choirs coming out of everywhere. Office choirs, community choirs, children choirs, youth choirs, uh, choir courses in the summer holidays. Uh, yeah, I've always been mad about choirs, I think it's fair to say. But your your way into choral conducting was almost an accident, but we'll come to that. What, what are we going to hear first? Well, first up, I thought we'd hear from some of the children of the London Youth Choirs. This piece was recorded in lockdown, so all these children recorded remotely. And it's a lovely piece, um, by Russell Hepperwhite, who actually is a composer I met in a sand pit whilst playing outside a hospital after giving birth to a baby, but that's another story. Uh, Russell's written this beautiful set of pieces, um, and the first we'll hear is Language, and this was commissioned by Britain Peers Arts as part of their Friday Afternoons project, which I'm sure many listeners will know of Britain's um, amazing legacy in Friday Afternoons pieces. So they've got this whole set of pieces um, which are commissioned by the likes of Nico Mooley, Erilyn Wallen, uh, Jonathan Dove. And so this first piece is called Language. It's what we read and what we 
the juniors of the London Youth Choirs in Russell Hepplewhite's language with words by Michael Rosen. I mean, I was watching that on YouTube and the, the, I mean, I just, as an administrator, you know, music's just an extra, isn't it, in this world? Administration takes up most of the time. And I'm just staggered at the sheer logistics of putting something like that together. All those children, all those checks that have to be in place, of course, when you're working with children, uh, trying to get children to stay still, to sing something <laughs> in front of a camera. I mean, the, the average age of, of the performers there? I'd say eight to nine. Um, yeah, most of them are aged seven to ten, I'd say, in that, in those choirs. Um, I think, you know, the challenge was there in lockdown to keep young people engaged because actually they had no anchor points in their week. So we found doing choir online, actually, for a lot of them, it was the only thing they had going on once a week. So, of course, they wanted to work hard towards projects. They still had that in sort of sense of wanting to perform and wanting to work towards things and get a kick out of something. So, in a way, we saw the power of choir to be um, something so much greater than the individual parts. Nowhere greater than in this kind of online gridded format of kids um, being individually recorded. I also found um, the children particularly susceptible to just, they really trusted their conductor. You know, I, I put a video of myself on YouTube conducting this piece. They all log in, they all record themselves separately. And we were actually quite surprised how together it was um, and how just innocent and beautifully they just sing to camera and kind of got on with it. Whereas I know lots of pro singers were like, you know, banging their head against the wall, retaking and suddenly extremely aware of their own voice and their own limitations and the kind of struggle with that. Whereas I think it was beautifully freeing to see children's responses um, through the pandemic in this way. That is an interesting point that the kids haven't got those uh, preconceived uh, issues, if you like. And as you say, it is so wonderfully uh, free and natural. But the clarity of their text, I mean, you mentioned that pro singers there. There are plenty of us who could learn a thing or two from listening to the way the children deliver the words there. Oh, well, thank you. I'll pass that feedback on to them. <laughs> it, it, I did say to the kids, if we're going to sing a song all about language, for goodness sake, we've got to be able to hear the words, <laughs> you know, of what you're singing. But um, yeah. And it was done just, just with you conducting no click track or anything like so that? So they had the piano accompaniment right. and they had me a video of me face on conducting them is yeah. the way we came to do it. I mean, we tried all sorts of things in other pieces um, along the way. There was some software being developed where people could sing in, in real time and add their parts. Uh, but actually the kind of polish wasn't there. So uh, it'll be interesting to see over the next few years kind of how technology um, embraces that the potential that I feel has been sped up over covid Rachel, have you always sung? I've always made noise. I think it would be fair to say, my family. <laughs> Same for Eamon. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I grew up with my parents going to church. And every Friday night, I had to sit through band practice, which was quite terrible in places. But uh, this was in the north of England. But if I sat quietly, I got a chip butty, which was a roll full of chips and gravy, which in the north was, you know, an, an awesome dinner. Yet again, we're selling our cuisine to the rest of the world. here. <laughs> if you haven't tried it, you need to. Um, so I, I grew up listening to band practice and going to church every Sunday. And then over time... I saw a girl playing the clarinet and I absolutely begged my parents to play the clarinet. My parents weren't particularly um, musical. No, they hadn't ever had music lessons or anything like that. Um, and I, I mean, I really begged them for a clarinet, but they were like, 
it look, it's £250. We can't get you a clarinet. This is crazy. But year after year, I was never picked for violin at school. Only two people got picked each year. And I was desperate to play an instrument, but had no kind of means to do it. Anyway, eventually my parents caved and I used to get up at 5.30 in the morning just to polish the keys and play it, which was very annoying. And now as a parent, I have two children who also get up at 5.30 in the morning, although I haven't got them instruments yet for that exact reason. Uh, So, yeah, I I grew up sort of hearing music, I suppose, but not in any professional context. But then I really loved the clarinet and that led to me then joining some choirs later on in life. How did it lead you? How did playing the clarinet get you into choirs? I think when I moved down to um, Berkshire, uh, there was a Berkshire music service um, and they said, well, if you're learning an instrument, you also need to be in choir. Um, You know, and choir is 8.30 on a Saturday morning eye roll I mean note to any choir leaders do not lead choir at 8.30 if you want to engage young people (laughs) but hey ho I had to go along and then I got into the Berkshire Youth Choir which was a real pivotal pivotal point for me because they did competitions we won choir of the year but do you know what I enjoyed most of all was probably the coach rides we used to sing at the back of the coach Eamon's looking worried about what other revelations I'm about to bring out about (laughs) choir coach journeys but what really struck me was this was my friendship group. These were my people. Um, we achieved success together because we worked hard. We, you know, our individual voices weren't particularly anything special, but together we could we could work hard and, and be a winning choir. So from there, I went on to be in the National Youth Choir of Great Britain. To be honest, I probably got in entirely on my social skills rather than any vocal ability. Um, but again, just was really inspired um, by the standard of other people, the drive by people. Um, I remember meeting uh, choir members on the residential courses and they said they were going for these things at this thing called Oxbridge. And quite honestly, I had never heard of it. I had no idea what they were talking about, talking about choral awards and then interviews. And I, I honestly, you know, my mum hadn't been to university. My dad was a chemical engineer. I had no, no clue. Um, but I found this prospectus Um, for Royal Holloway University which is part of University of London but it's based in Egham in Surrey and I saw they had a choral scholarship and I thought do you know what if I'm going to go to university I'm going to need to have that scholarship to pay for university so I just auditioned for it and um, was fortunate just to get taken really on potential so that that was a bit of a long-winded way of saying my choral journey, but <laughs> and it's quite a heavy schedule at uh, at Royal Holloway. Uh, Royal... Royal Holloway. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. <laughs> Dr. Freud. <laughs> but but you had a lot of services to thing, and then there came that moment one day when the conductor wasn't available for something. Yeah, so I remember a day where the conductor was ill on the day of the concert. Who was the conductor at that time? Um, the conductor for that event was Neil Ferris, ah. oh, and right. who's now um, conductor of BBC Symphony Chorus. Hello, Neil, if you're listening. <laughs> and uh, Neil was off. He might not even realise this is how I began conducting, but uh, they looked around and they, in fact, the exact words somebody said was tenors and basses. Anybody want to conduct this concert? Ooh. 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 No hands went up. I put my hand up. Again, there was a bit of a call out for anyone else. (laughs) Um, And they said, "Okay, well, Rachel, you can conduct the concert. And I really remember in the concert, I stood at the end of the beautiful chapel, waving my arms around, not really having a clue what I was doing, but somehow making beautiful music with my peer group. And I suddenly thought, do you know what? The chat with my dad is coming up about what are you going to do at the end of this music degree? And I thought, 
I found it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to conduct choirs. So um, looking back, it seems like um, from childhood, you know, music was really my passion. Um, Even when I didn't have the means to explore it, that sort of made me more resilient and more committed to the cause, I think. So we're going to hear some more from your your choirs. But but tell us about a piece that inspired you. I remember at university trying to write essays sort of through the night, not really my forte. And I remember having, um, I find it quite hard. I don't know about you guys, so I find it quite hard to listen to music in the background. Mm, yeah, um, I can't really work with music on because um, half my brain is then listening to the music. Interesting tweet about this from Philip Pullman yesterday. I don't know if you saw this, him saying that music shouldn't be uh, a background noise, so it should be treated with more respect, uh, which has Ooh. created quite, quite a, a sort of mini storm on Twitter. Mm. Oh, I'll look that up. <laughs> uh, but I found some some pieces that if I played them enough and enough and enough and I knew them off by heart that I could work to them in the background. Um, so this is one of those. It's a bit of a late night one memory for me of Pace Mihi Domini from the album Officium of 1994. Um, and it's just absolutely beautiful from the Hilliard Ensemble. It's this choral world interspersed with improvised saxophone and soprano saxophone and I just remember it. I just remember being really inspired by the sound of the choir um, and that kind of ethereal nature and the way it fuses with almost like a jazz improvisational type element.
Gosh, that brings me back. Pace Mihi Domine by Cristobal de Morales from the 1994 album Officium. The saxophonist Jan Garbarek weaving his magic uh, above the Hilliard Ensemble. Rachel, I, I mean, that puts me right back in my, in my room at university. Uh, I remember that so clearly. I listened to that disc endlessly. Although it's probably indicative of something that actually my favourite track on the whole disc and the one that I listened to most was that track, Pace Mihi Domine, but without the saxophone. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Just talking to you, Rachel, you, you seem a very inclusive person, the way you've talked about everyone involved in what it is that you're doing. And inclusivity... EDI, the term used in university, equality, diversity, inclusion, has become a thing, certainly in academic circles and in institutional circles. What does it mean in choral singing? Well, I think it means, I think we're uniquely placed as choir leaders, um, with everybody having the instrument that we (laughs) are using. Um, I think we're uniquely placed to enable everybody to be a part And I think that's one of the sheer joys of choir above orchestra, above band, above drumming groups, all those things. Actually, people come as they are, come as themselves and their sound is unique to them, which I think is really special. And, you know, we we have an opportunity, I think, as leaders to include the from the broadest um, types of people who are involved in our work. I think historically, you know, it has been quite an elite sport, if you like, choral singing. Um, or even classical music in general. But I really feel now we're at a turning point where actually with the right energy and drive and the right bringing on of younger leaders and the right um, kind of effort in this area that we can change the landscape for future kids coming up through programmes like ours at London Youth Choir. You know, my hope is people say, oh, what's your long-term aspiration in setting up London Youth Choirs? And I'd say, well... To be honest, one of them is to see the kids who we're recruiting from normal council estate schools in London, seeing them in the BBC Singers in the 16. Like, wouldn't that be wonderful? That would be a marked change that something like London Youth Choir that spans age 7 through to 23. That is something that's attainable and feasible over a generation, in my view. So I think it's all for us to look at ourselves, at our choices we're making, you know, at the power that we have and the privilege that we have and and start to make some targets and, and action as best we can with the resources we've got. People of my generation sang at school. I mean, I was lucky enough to go to a private school, so there was there was choirs. We know about the lack of investment in state schools over 40 years, and now it's really coming home to roost with decision makers not having had access to, to music. How do you, with one organ, I mean, you're not responsible for the whole world, maybe that's your next job. Um, but, <laughs> Youth uh, choir of the world. Yes, exactly. But how, Good idea. <laughs> how do you uh, fight against the fact that you know, there isn't choral music in schools. There aren't music teachers in some schools with any more than the, the very rudimentary uh, training. How do you, how can you get to, to enough schools to, to create a real impact? I think that's, um, yeah, it's a challenge. And I think it involves not, you know, obviously not just me, but everybody doing their patch, working hard on their patch or working hard with the resources they've been given or granted. Um you're right, there's no quick fix at all. But I think what I can try and do is show what's possible. 
with the funding that I've got and with the energy and time that I've got and the team that I've built up over time. And actually we can share the power and privilege in order to further this kind of work, you know, making sure that we're bringing on new leaders who are different from ourselves, who have different life experiences, whether that's lived experience of disability, whether that's that they're a different colour from I am. Uh, from what I am, whether that's they grew up on these estates, you know, there's huge insight and huge knowledge and skill and shared lived experience that I think these brilliant aspiring core leaders um, and singers can bring to our groups if we if we kind of shift our mindset of what we think is the ideal choral sound or the ideal choral group. Um, for me, the ideal choral sound is something on the ideal look of a group should be that that matches the community that it's placed within. So for me in London Youth Choir, it's a huge challenge. I want to match our membership with the census in London so that I can truly say these are London kids. This represents London in every which way you might look at it. Um, so, yeah, I think it I think it's a challenge for all of us um, and one that I take seriously and with my time and energy and can you just tell us how London Youth Choir actually works then because it's not just one single choir is it it would be easier if it was but (laughs) no uh oh it might be quite complicated if it was one choir um so we have eight choirs and we're about to launch a ninth and a tenth choir we have choirs that are for children aged seven to eleven so kind of key stage two at school um, and we have some of those that meet in central London. And now we're planting choirs around um, the, the kind of more extreme areas of London, sort of further out, so that the geographical barriers that many would face to come are then mit- mitigated. Um, then we have these, what we call cambiata choirs. Uh, and for our listeners, cambiata meaning changing or evolving. Um, and we, we have those for teenage boys and teenage girls. So originally we had that as kind of one big training choir, we called it, for young teenagers, 11 to 15-ish. But actually we realised the boys can never really thrive in that situation. Mm. And we needed some separate care, attention and um, compassion towards the voice change and some kind of expert um kind of tailored repertoire tailored vocal coaching through that stage because let's face it which choir in the uk wouldn't appreciate some more tenors and basses <laughs> so <laughs> and let's not forget the whole female ladies uh, tenors and basses thing that which was big in the baroque big in the renaissance talk to laurie strass yeah um but yeah female tenors they may yet be the savior of the english choral tradition <laughs> Amen. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, and as well, like the Cambiata girl space, I think is, has been a really valuable one for empowering those young girls. And I direct that choir myself. And I think there is something powerful about having a female conductor, having a female producer at events. And for those girls seeing, oh, we're singing repertoire by women. Okay, like uh, this could be me. I think that's um, really valuable for them. And then we have, sorry, so many choirs to talk through. We have a youth choir, which we're going to hear from next. And then above that, we also have a chamber choir, where my hope is that by giving um, sort of 18 to 22 year olds that kind of extra experience, extra vocal coaching, maybe in different languages, extra chances to kind of brush shoulders with young professionals, that we might then um, help them step into the industry. I had a really lovely experience uh, just a few weeks ago I worked briefly with the London Youth Chamber Choir and when I conducted at English National Opera uh, a few weeks ago in the front row of the Sopranos was Isabel Hiley who I met uh, in London Youth Choir and there she was leading the line. It was fantastic (laughs) not just to see her but to see her really really delivering as well. 
Oh, that's it's so good to hear. I love, um, I'm sure Robert, as a, uh, someone who works at university, there's not, no more joy than finding out what your alumni are doing. And when they're, whether they're in the industry or not, it's still a privilege to have known them and be part of their journey. And just think, I, I genuinely think where core music steps in, that's a turning point for young people. And so that's, that's cool to hear about. I just come back from Cork, where we were singing at the International Choral Festival. And singing with us for the first time was Sam Gilliatt, uh, who's actually the main lead in the Fichter Police episodes in, in Sing the Score, um, <laughs> uh, who had just left York a couple of years ago. And he was singing for Greg Skidmore, our regular baritone, who was away with the Talis Scholars. I thought I was he, the regular baritone. No, no, you're the irregular baritone. <laughs> in every sense. And he didn't drop a... It, it's not so much that he didn't make a mistake, because making mistakes is cool, it's how you learn, but he didn't make a mistake, and he sang with total commitment from the very first moment, and we were all slightly shell-shocked. Hooray for that. So what are we going to hear? So next we're going to hear Underneath the Stars by Kate Rusby, and it's been arranged by Jim Clements, who does a lot of arranging for Watches 8. Um, and in fact, they made this track, this arrangement, really quite famous on YouTube. Um, do I have to explain what YouTube is? No, I'm joking. <laughs> Uh, what are you saying so, about our readership? <laughs> I'm saying when you asked me for tracks today, I think I sent you entirely YouTube links, which shows kind of a slightly different way forward, doesn't it, for music recording and what we're doing with youth choirs. Um, I love this piece. Emily Dickens sang a beautiful solo for Votches 8 um, with it. But I think I'm playing this because this was again recorded individually in lockdown. It's not perfect. But the heart of it is, you know, 80 young people singing their hearts out on their own in their living rooms. And I thought there was something really beautiful about it. So totally not not very together, consonants all over the place, but a lovely solo by one of our um, young sopranos, Kylie. And I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. 
Well, we're not just sitting here listening to that. We're watching the video as well. Do go, do, do go and look it up on YouTube. And it's very, very beautiful. It's hard not to have a tear in the eye. What an English thing to say, hard not to. How, <laughs> I must not how, have yes, get a tear in the eye. quickly repress it. Um, <laughs> the thing is, you know, this, this search for perfection. Eamon and I have just finished three days of recording together with uh, De Profundis. And uh, we're actually recording Morales, the same as the, the Pace Mihi Domine. And it's hard not to be trying to look for perfection, except that actually, I suppose you're trying to stop any big errors. But what you really want is to show the music at its best. And that involves a certain um, acceptance that you're not going to find uh, perfection. And there are going to be maybe weaknesses, but there's going to be humanity coming out there too. You have to, in a performance, allow the humanity to come through. There were some moments, a couple of things we've been talking about recently, actually, and they were really going for this thing in a way that I don't think is traditional in Oxbridge early music performances with all its strengths. And they were really able to, to let rip vocally in an appropriate way. And the humanity of that and the humanity of watching this now is something that perhaps we should be looking for more. I suppose it is something that is out there in a lot of choral singing anyway, but it just sometimes can get repressed. But that leads to something you and I were talking about the whole business of the job of a conductor. I was reading your five points for conductors on on Twitter. Uh, And one of them is this problem with the whole maestro um, ego thing. Um, And here we are, three conductors. We all like being paid to do our job and we all like to stand there in front of a choir and doing it our way. But that uh, openness, um, I mean, something that in your work, I mean, you've watched Rachel conduct. Tell me something about Rachel's conducting and her work. (laughs) This is a word that is overused, but enabling would be one way I would describe Rachel's conducting because it is so because it's so energized and communicative. Uh, I think I mean, I've, 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 last time I saw you work was with the girls choir and National Youth Choir. Oh, yeah. Um, and the unanimity of their approach, but also just the sheer exuberance. And I think. I mean, you are naturally a vivacious uh, and exuberant human being, and that just comes out in your conducting. I think so. In terms, there's no. It, it's very honest. It's very true to who you are, and I think that that's that, you know that's what we need to be, isn't it? If you're going to communicate what's what makes you tick to the people who are in front of you, and you absolutely do that. Oh well, thank you. I mean, enabling would be a word that I'd aspire to be because, actually, I think. When I was at music college, for example, studying conducting, which is just such a weird thing to go and study in some ways, mm. um, with the amazing Paddy Russell, who is actually very keen for us to be our best versions of ourselves. And and actually, he did pick quite diverse candidates, I'd say, looking back. Um, but in some ways, I felt through that season that the joy was taken out of me because I was so having to obsess about technique. And maybe people who've been to conservatoire can really relate to this on an instrument or 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 even singing sometimes the joy is kind of taken out of you and your own personality is taken out and then it kind of becomes an act you're you're trying to be a leader of something you think you ought to be whereas actually now what I've decided in life is I am who I am at London Youth Choir even I'm not the best musician in the room some of the chamber choir who are absolutely doing masters in music you know they're absolutely more on it with musical Um, details and terminologies than I am for example the pianist in the room but what I am is an enabler and somebody who can get the best out of people 
And so more now my advice to like young conductors, well, I mean, I'm not that old myself, but, <laughs> um, you know, people who are entering, entering the profession is, you know, really find your niche. What are you good at? What are you good at bringing to a group of people that nobody else you know can bring to a group of people? Funnily enough, this is exactly the same advice given to me by the head of a, a business in Cambridge um, just a couple of days ago, that this this needing to sort of iron yourself into a mould that fits the industry um, is of almost no interest to potential employers because what you have is you and that's what you need to bring out in your conducting. Yeah, I mean, now I go to an audition and I think I'm actually working out whether uh, I think there's a value place for me to be in this space not am I thinking do they want me what should I be you know it's the opposite way of thinking Um, and that's not to say you can't work on yourself or improve or of course we want to be diligent in all of those ways and 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 develop as artists but I'm a big believer in normal people being up at the front and you know working alongside people to get a good result and and losing this sense of you know, roll out the red carpet, so-and-so's here, oh, we mustn't do this in rehearsal, we were, you know, that kind of fear-induced coma that we see some, <laughs> I have to be careful what I say here, but you see, I, I see it even in symphonic choruses where older women are looking fearfully up at the conductor, you know, and there's this real sense of dread about dropping a pencil or making a mistake. I've, I've Personally, I prefer to work with real people um, and if if the result in the concert is slightly fluffier than it would have been otherwise, um, then so be it. I'd prioritise people over <laughs> people over music and make kind of heartening music together that moves people, moves audiences, and essentially that, well, for me in my case, that young people make new memories and kind of their aspirations are raised as a result of being part in something. So someone's listening to this thinking, fantastic, I'd love my kids to be involved, I'd love to be involved myself in this. Um, how do you get involved? Well, uh, the first thing is to just drop us a line. We've got a really friendly team of staff who are here to help um, engage with the process. We have we have auditions, but I would say they're quite informal. For younger children, they come in a group, they learn a new song in a wor- workshop kind of setting. Um, and then they just sing a line back. You know, if you can pitch match a little... <laughs> you know then then you're in we can work with that can we can we just add at this point this whole english thing about oh i can't sing i was told at school i can't sing almost nobody is tone deaf sometimes there's a thing i don't feel comfortable singing outside a very small interval i can only go so anything about that that's a whole different thing to do with well emotional repression and not feeling comfortable in yourself and all that kind of thing and but the nearly everyone can sing yeah, I think everybody can sing. Um, I think some people might not have been afforded the opportunities to hear some of the sound worlds that others have. Um, so maybe don't have context for making a noise with their voice um, as well. Uh, and also we have quite rigid kind of system that we just take for granted, you know, oh, you know, we sing a scale here or in the warm up, oh, we sing an arpeggio or we do this. And actually for some people, that's not their hearing of music or it's not the style they've grown up with so I think it's about accessing helping people access their voice as an instrument I know um, Eamon your wife is brilliant at this with lots of different techniques with straws and you know vocalizing making sounds and that's exactly how we approach it with the children I'm yet to find a kid who who we can't make it work to join 
Rachel, the tracks we've heard of, of London Youth Choirs uh, performing today are of the sort of lighter end of the repertoire, but this isn't, it's not just what London Youth Choirs perform, is it? I think it's fair to say we do all sorts. So um, just before lockdown, we did uh, Mahler's Second Symphony with Yurovsky um, <laughs> conducting um, and the London Philharmonic Orchestra and with the London Philharmonic Chorus as well. And that was just amazing what a thing to be involved in an age of i don't know what i mean these things that change people's lives without being over dramatic here i mean i suppose who listens to call to our known who isn't involved in a choir anyway so we're preaching to the converted but that's an extraordinary thing to have done yeah it was absolutely amazing you know there's the very i think it's a bit like sermons in church there's very few that stand out really over years and years that you remember (laughs) i remember the short remember the short ones (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but that really was a concert that at the end with that big stand up and the big cool moment, you know, honestly, my rib cage was rattling in the audience. It was very, very moving. So everything from that to a couple of weeks ago, we did um, Bach's St. John Passion, um, mostly in German with chorales in English. And we did that with English touring opera. And again, it's like amazing opportunities. We had all the kids doing a couple of movements and the chorales and then the youth choir and the chamber choir leading on the whole rest of it. Um, then, Earlier this year, we did Cecilia McDowell's Everyday Wonders at Cadogan Hall. So we do do a huge range of repertoire. And the piece we're about to listen to now is completely different again. Um, It's maybe imagine Monteverdi high on something. And this is Virtual Insanity by Jamiroquai, arranged by Kerry Marsh, um, with also SK Shlomo, who's, um, I don't know if if your listeners will be aware, but he's an absolutely like Guinness World Record beatboxer. Uh, So in short, he makes a lot of random noises with his mouth (laughs) Uh, but this was curated and and arranged by Greg Bitzel who's the conductor of London Youth Chamber Choir
Popular idiom composed. That's <laughs> <laughs> what everyone says. Uh, French composer Jamie Roquet. Um, <laughs> am I getting this right? That's uh, Virtual Insanity by Jamiroquai, Robert. Uh, arranged there by Kerry Marsh, Greg Beardsall with the London Youth Chamber Choir and SK Shlomo, beatboxing, uh, and some very classy vocals there by the soloist Lauren Morgan. 
It's incredibly classy, that whole thing. I mean, I just, a word out for the engineers who put these things together in lockdown. Extraordinary job. The stay-at-home choir, even Tori Longdon and Jamie Wright. Extraordinary word that work that engineers do, because to make something as neat and tidy, what brilliant arrangement as well. This is a, another video that you can watch on YouTube. There's, there's a, a wonderful visual element to it as well, which I believe was made by one of the choir members. Yeah, I mean, that's the joy of working with the youth choirs. They're way better at this stuff than we are. So um, Henry Scott, one of the tenors, um, said, oh, could I make a little video for this? I'd be like, be our guest. That was one um, of your points, I think, in your five conductors points. That, or maybe it's just something else you said or something Eamon said or someone, someone said about your choirs are such resources. If you stand there thinking, ha ha, I know more than they do, A, you're probably wrong. And B, there's so much that they can give that you wouldn't even thought about. The whole business of how you present concerts these days anyway and I mean maybe we just briefly talk about that um uh, they will have such ideas about how to bring an audience in and how to share music with other people definitely and they're just growing up in a completely different world than what we've experienced before and I think at London Youth Choirs we're sort of in the process we're really keen on youth voice so whether it's that we've got a job application up and we have a kid doing a video about what the job is or whether it's you know we're at the moment, we, we have quite a big pastoral strand to our work, or pastoral, depending on which way you want to pronounce it, um, which basically is about looking after our young people to the best we can. And so at the moment, we've got a competition to design a logo that the young people make themselves and then we'll have professionally animated. You know, there's a lot of ways that you can include your members um, because let's face it, no one is master of everything. And actually, in, in a choir, you've got all these resources. I mean, those who are members of choral societies will know all about this, where one of the altos is the treasurer, one of the bass is the chair. You know, it's, it's a really good model for how things can run and give, give people opportunities that they wouldn't necessarily have had. I can't believe we've got through the episode just like that. It took no time. We've hardly eaten the cakes and we have enjoyed all the police sirens going, going past and the trains <laughs> on the North London line. Um, Rachel, we haven't even touched on um, EDI when it comes to repertoire. Uh, So we're just going to have to have you back. It's as simple as that. Oh, well, that would be a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming. It's been a real pleasure. Really nice to meet you in person, Robert, and catch up with you as well, Eamon. And I better go to choir now. (laughs) I've got some kids waiting. (laughs) We we all had better go to choir. I've got to get down to music. Well, let's stop chatting and go to choir. (laughs) Yeah, I'm off to the Guildhall School of Music. And you no doubt have all got to get off to your choirs as well. See you next time. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Just before you go, another reminder to try listening on Patreon, which costs just a few pounds per month. Or, if you prefer, you can very simply make a one-off donation. You can actually do either via coralchihuahua.com. Thanks.